Thank you, Grayson. When I was in sixth grade, I invited a few of my girlfriends over, and I don't know for what reason, but a few boys ended up coming over as well on their bikes. And they decided they were going to play a prank on us, and my baby sister Susanna was still in diapers. And so they took one of her used diapers, really used diapers, and they turned it inside out and then chased us saying, poopy diaper going to get you, poopy diaper going to get you. Well, of course, we wanted revenge. We had to retaliate. And so when they were around the back of the house, we ran around to the front of the house and stole their bikes. We'd shown them. I remember riding away, so excited. They were going to have to do a walk of shame. There weren't cell phones when I was in sixth grade, so it's not like they could get in touch with us. They couldn't quickly call their parents and tell them what happened. And as we were riding away, feeling so good about ourselves, we hear a car approaching. And I look back and my heart stopped. Y'all know those moments. It was my dad. And he rolled up slowly next to us and put the window down and said, girls, those are not your bikes. Go home now. I got home and He proceeded to ground me and send the children home. And then as I began to justify all the reasons why it was okay for us to just, you know, retaliate on the little prank, he looked at me and he said something I will never forget. He said, Emily, two wrongs don't make a right. Do you remember times when your parents said these sayings to you? And believe it or not, y'all, they come from Jesus, A lot of these sayings that our our parents have rooted within us, they came from this sermon we're looking at, this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is pushing all of us to consider, why do we do what we do? Why do we say what we say? Are we just going through the motions in our relationships, in our faith, in our beliefs? Is the inside, is what's going on inside our heart actually matching the outside? We're going to continue with the Sermon on the Mount, realizing that a lot of what our culture says glitters and will make us successful and will secure us a happy life are not necessarily what Jesus says will make us a happy life. And today he is going to push us with a a difficult text, even in addition to the one that Grayson just read about how we speak, and this is about how do we treat our enemies. Let's continue to hear the word of God in Matthew's gospel. We're picking up at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good And he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This, too, is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. 
This is the sixth and final little section in this part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you have heard it was said, and he gives an Old Testament law, and then he turns it upside down and says, but I want you to consider something even deeper. It's important to note that the first and the sixth, the first and the last, really speak to each other because the first one is Jesus saying, you have heard that it was said, do not murder, but I tell you that if you are angry with your brother or sister, you are liable to the same judgment. And then in the sixth one, he has says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He begins with these two themes and ends with these themes of anger, of hatred, of violence, which I think that all of us can identify with. And I think Jesus knew we would need to hear it more than once. But what has had students so puzzled by this sixth section is that Jesus quotes the Old Testament and says, love, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor, which is in Leviticus 17. You can go read it. But that second part, hate your enemy, he's not quoting it from scripture. It's not in there anywhere. There's no place in the Old Testament where God tells us that it is okay to hate our enemy. Now, you can go find scripture where individuals say they hate their enemy. The psalmist does this in some times, but it is never a command of God to hate our enemy. So why would Jesus include this? It doesn't fit the pattern. Jesus includes this because Jesus was a student of culture. Surrounding Israel in this time is a Roman government that has complete control. They have complete control of the economy. They have control of the philosophy they even have control over what's going on in the religious sphere. And the Romans were the enemies of the Jews. And then even within the own Jewish faith, they had their own sections. You had the Sadducees. You had the Pharisees. And then there's this other one, this other sect you might not have heard of called the Essenes. And the, the Essenes later and went, became the people of Qumran who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. Do you remember hearing about this? And in those Dead Sea Scrolls, it said this. It said, the sons of light, or those that were kind of the us, are to hate the sons of darkness. You see, when Jesus includes, you have heard that it was said, hate your enemy, he's speaking to a phrase that was common in the culture. And I would say, and venture to say for us today, that's not too far from our truth either. In some ways, it's okay to hate as long as it's the enemy. I think Jesus' words are challenging our social, political, cultural as well. The policy and actions of our government, both local and global, you cannot just summarize them down to one statement that you put out on social media. It, it, they're too complex, and I don't think that that's helpful for us. And so although I and you might personally disagree with stuff that's happened in our government in the past 10 years, I think we can all say amen to that at some point. I want us to consider this morning, what does this text say that we are to do when our government, our boss, our school board, lest I say our family, has opinions or thoughts or statements that we do not agree with, that we are in opposition to. 
in those moments, yes, we would be able to say, oh, we will love our neighbor. The neighbors are the ones that we like to be around. But the, those that oppose us, that have the differing view, Jesus says, I'm going to turn your world upside down. Those are the people I want you to love. Love them. Love your enemies and actually pray for them. So who are our enemies? Jesus uses the, the Greek word, which just means anybody that is hostile towards you or anybody that opposes you. I wonder in this year of very important elections, if enemy just means someone who doesn't vote the way you do. Does it mean someone who has an opposing view on a hot button issue? You fill in the blank. It must mean terrorists. I mean, they're certainly hostile, right? What about closer to home? What about that bully? That although you try to walk a different way every single day at school, they still seem to manage to find you and make fun of how tall you are or what your skin looks like. Who are your enemies? Is it the business partner that cheated you? Is it a family member who hurt you? And do you hate them? Do we hate them? Jesus commands us to love our enemy. I wonder if you're thinking, it's not possible. I can't do it, and they don't deserve it. The secret is in the word that Jesus uses. He doesn't tell us we have to like them. There are people that we're not going to like. To like someone means you want to be around them. You want to be in their presence. You want to grow closer to them. That's not the word that Jesus uses there. He doesn't say we have to be in physical contact with them. He doesn't use the Greek word for physical love. You don't even ever have to touch your enemy. He doesn't tell us that we need to love them in a brotherly or sisterly way. The way you would a family, you know, like where you can kind of love them from a distance. No. Jesus is intentional here, and he uses the Greek word agape. Agape love is a love that is only rooted within a power that lies in God, not in anything of human creation. Agape love comes out of the creator's love, not out of the created. Agape love has no beginning or end. It doesn't reach a, pull, a point where it's too full or ever reach a point where it is too low. Agape love ha has no inhibitions. It, it has no conditions. Agape love knows no limits. Agape love has no judgment. Agape love does not play favorites. It's not choosy. It's most fully revealed in this, that while all of us, every single person gathered here, even before we were conceived, in those moments, Christ died for us and said, I love you so much regardless, free of judgment. Agape love is not the love that the media or the latest self-help book or The Bachelor or, or American culture say this is what love is. Those are loves. But see, those loves have limits. And those loves are rooted in a power that can die. Martin Luther King preached on the same exact text in November 1957. And I told my preaching team this, and I thought, do you think we should just listen to that? Because it's so powerful. I want you to go Google it. It's, it's one of the most powerful sermons you've ever heard. But then I realized it was 50 minutes long. And 
my husband and Martin Hunt have lunch plans after church, and so I didn't want to interfere with that. But MLK points to the fact that the unique thing about agape love over all those other loves is that within it, because it comes from the creator, it has the power to redeem and transform the world. And he tells this story, this beautiful story of uh, agape love taking place in our nation. Abraham Lincoln was running for president and there was a man named Edwin Stanton who was adamantly opposed to Lincoln. They were from opposite political parties. And Stanton made it his life's mission that year that Lincoln was running for office to oppose him. And he spoke bad words about him. He, he smothered him and he was known to say this, you don't want a tall, lanky, ignorant man like this as president of the United States. You see, Edwin was a high powered attorney. He'd been very successful in his political party. He was a man of short stature who suffered profoundly from asthma. Lincoln was nominated and then he had to choose his cabinet And he shocked everybody because he looked around to find the best candidate for the Secretary of War that was going to lead them through the Civil War. And who did he choose? Edwin Stanton. And his advisors looked at him and called him a fool. Do you know what Mr. Stanton has been saying about you? Do you know what he has done and tried to do to you? Do you know that he has tried to defeat you on every hand, Mr. Lincoln? Do you know all those derogatory statements that he made about you? You would be a fool to put him on your cabinet. And Abraham Lincoln stood before his advisors and he said, Oh, yes, I know about it. I read about it. And I've seen it face to face. But after looking across the country, I have found he is the best one for the job. And Martin Luther King goes on to say, Stanton is the one who said of Abraham Lincoln after he was assassinated, he will be one for the ages. Stanton was the one who led the investigation into the assassination of Lincoln. MLK says, you see, if Abraham Lincoln had hated Stanton, Abraham Lincoln would not have transformed and redeemed Stanton because Stanton would have gone to his grave hating Lincoln and Lincoln would have gone to his grave hating Stanton. But through the power of love, redemption happened. You see, Jesus is challenging us. Hostility must not be met with more hostility. Violence must not be met with more violence and hatred must not be met with more hatred. Y'all, this is so true in the way we act. And I think all of us would would be able to say, yeah, we, we agree with that, Emily. But what about the way that we talk? Grayson read some pretty powerful and difficult and challenging words. You see, the way whether we talk face-to-face or in an email or in a text, the images that we send, we must come back to those words from James. The tongue is a fire, a restless 
evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and then we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. Friends, in the age of communication that we live in, this is one of the key and central ways that we can be light in this world and salt in this earth. Is the hate via communication, it must stop. As James says, brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. Meeting hatred with more hatred, even on social media, even if it's just through an image, it takes away the light of Christ. And it only adds fuel to the fire of hate. And all of us know that when we are caught up in that hate, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't make us feel better. What we're working towards as followers of Christ is being transformed from the inside out into who Christ is. And Christ says, love them. Love your enemy. Pray for them. And don't worry, it's not love that you have to work up the courage to do. You don't have to read a book to get it. You don't have to, it comes from me, God says. This is agape love. It's rooted in me. I am the creator of it. If you just love those who love you, isn't it just because you know they'll love you back? What about the ones that, that don't deserve it? What about the ones who, they're not even going to recognize that you are loving them? You know, when I get in these moments of hatred personally, there are some times when I, in my heart, I still think, oh, two wrongs might make a right here. <laughs> and, and I'm doing that, though, just to justify the, the hatred and the anger, and it never leaves me feeling better. It leaves me feeling worse and divided. Jesus is calling us to a higher standard. Jesus has sent all of us to go into the world to be this light and this salt, the beacon on a hill, and to do this without judgment, to do this regardless of if those people deserve it or not, and to love ourselves only with the help of God, the love of God. May this agape, unconditional, without limit love pour out from us into the world this day. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, overwhelm us with this love that you generously have in store for us and want to pour out. God, I pray for all of us who have hatred towards our enemy, whatever that is. God, may you, your love, may it just wash over us in such a way that we remember Every other person is a creation as well. They are a child of God. You are our God. Help us this day to love so big that we are light in this world. In Christ's name, amen. Would you please stand and sing with me?